You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Today we are looking at prospects 31 through 40, so we're starting to get a little bit outside of the realm of the guys everybody knows, but still quite a few names. I think it won't be until uh, tomorrow or the next day when we're really getting out into no man's land, but Mozzie Smith, Will McDonald the fourth, Anton Harrison, Cam Smith, Keely Ringo, Emmanuel Forbes, Jameer Gibbs, Jalen Hyatt, Dewan uh, Jones, and Drew Sanders are on the docket today. I may be doing a little bit of skipping here and there just for the sake of time, trying to get this all in in 30 minutes if I possibly can, so that we can get to the second half with some other topics to talk about. Anyways, without further ado, let's talk about Mr. Mozzie Smith. Six foot three, three hundred and twenty-three pound defensive tackle, uh, out of plays for Michigan, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Twenty-one point eight years old. Didn't do a ton at the con, or didn't do really anything but the bench at the combine. Did thirty-four reps, and then at his pro day, uh, vert and broad jump is all he really did. Getting to his overall, says Smith might never light up the stat sheet with backfield production, but he will be an above-average NFL run defender and flashes pass rush potential with his natural leverage body quickness, and remarkable power. He fits multiple fronts, but he is ideally suited as a shade in the middle of a line similar in ways to uh, Brandon Meebane. Grade, first, second round, number 39 overall. Over at PFF, um, four years, really was a starter the last two. In those two years, 75 and 79.9, basically an 80 PFF grade. Uh, Run defense this past year was an 81. Tackling, 69. Pass rush, 68.5. He had 25 pressures on almost 400 attempts and one sack. So that pass rush production is flat garbage. And um, the grades would back that up. Even though 68.5 pass rush grade isn't terrible, um, he had an 82.5 pass rush grade against Iowa, a 79.4 against Ohio State, and then his next highest was a 64. So he had two games that were quote-unquote good. And even the good games, Ohio State, three pressures on 41 attempts and no sacks. That's not good. And then Iowa was two pressures on 35 attempts and no sacks, which is terrible. And those are the only two games where he graded out positively. So I'll just say I'm not the biggest Mozzie Smith fan. I know there's a lot, a lot of hype about Mozzie Smith. Um, I feel like we do this every year. There's a guy who is an oversized defensive tackle that is purely a run defender, and everybody tries to convince me, no, 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 he could be a pass rusher, he could be a pass rusher. Never once have I seen these guys materialize into pass rushers. Not one time. So I'll say this. I I watched him against Ohio State, which maybe is a little bit unfair because he actually didn't grade out super great as a run defender in that game. It was his fourth worst run defense performance. But just by virtue of what I saw, I have concerns. Yeah, he pushed around TCU and Rutgers and Hawaii and Colorado State and and Illinois or whatever, but he went up against Ohio State, and although there were some good reps, it was about 50-50 in my mind. And for a guy that is a, you know, supposedly dominant uh, 323-pound, built-like-a-nose-tackle type of guy to go heads up and get blown off the ball as easily as he did, as often as he did, and just overall just not be massively productive. There were times even, even when he won the rep, I would say, and still didn't make the tackle. He's so focused on beating the guy in front of him, he missed that the running back ran right through his lane and didn't get his arm out and just missed him. So, um, I'm sure if I go back and watch him against, you know, TCU or Purdue or whatever, again, probably get a a different view, but let's just leave it at, he's probably going to be a decent run defender, maybe, but I, I don't, think the value is there as much as people seem to think, right? He's an early second round guy. If, if if I'm looking at a guy that is what I think he is, which is a pure run defender that has no real genuine pass rush upside, I don't think he's going to go as early as people think. Teams want pass rushers. This is not a pass rusher. Really hope we don't draft them because I am talking some trash right now. <laughs> Next up, Will McDonald. Will McDonald actually grew up in Milwaukee, which is kind of cool. 
played at uh, Pulaski High School, and then they moved to Waukesha, and then went to Waukesha North High School. So, pretty cool. Anyways, didn't do a bunch of stuff at the Combine, but ran a 4.69 at his pro day, 35.5-inch vert, 4.22 short shuttle, 6.853 cone. For those that care, overall, McDonald is more toolsy than seasoned and might never become the sum of his parts, but his natural length, flexibility, and explosiveness are an enticing combination. He projects as a sub-package pass rusher as an NFL rookie with the potential to be more down the road. Second-round prospect, number 46 overall. Again, for those that don't know, we are looking at um, Dane Brugler's draft guide over at The Athletic called The Beast. But uh, edge rushing Will McDonald IV had, uh, let's see, five years at Iowa State. Um, I don't know exactly when you would call him a starter, but let's just say year one didn't really count. Since then, his grade 74, 77, 70, 79, so pretty consistent. His last year was technically his best year. Purely a pass rusher, which is going to get him more credit than guys that are purely run defenders, I'll tell you that. Um, His run defense grades in those years, 58, 63, 47, and 70. And then his pass rush grades over those years, 84, 75, 85, 84. Um, He had 21 pressures on 94 attempts, which is crazy high, uh, and six sacks, (laughs) which is ridiculous. 35 pressures and 222 attempts and nine sacks. 45 pressures in 273 attempts and 13 sacks, 25 pressures in 260 attempts and 6 sacks. So this was actually, although his grades were comp- completely fine, maybe there were more double teams or whatever, um, you'd have to look at his true pass sets, which I won't. But technically, statistically, this was his worst year. Got a bunch of games here that I can view, but none of them are really his good games. Texas, I have, that was his worst game. TCU was a uh, below average game. Um, not a lot of options. I could go back to last year, I guess. I guess I'll watch Kansas State. It's kind of right in the middle. Uh, he also had three pressures and two sacks, so I guess that'll be the one. All right, so look, here's the deal with Will McDonald, man. Um, 239 pounds is a problem, okay? But I'm a Will McDonald fan. 23.8 years old is a problem, but I'm a Will McDonald fan. I'm, I'm so annoyed so annoyed that there's always issues. Like, I really like this guy. And then, you know, a wide receiver or something like, dude, this guy is good. And then you're like, yeah, but he's 172 pounds. Like, oh, crap. Are you serious? I watch Will McDonald and it's like, dang, dude, this guy is so wild. I could not understand why he wasn't a first round pick. And then I glance over, it says 239. I forgot that I just read that or I wasn't paying attention or something. I don't know. I was like, oh, don't do this to me, dude. And then I look right next to it. It says 23.8. Like, oh, don't do this to me. He's really good. He's really good. He's really good. But those are legitimate concerns. Is a guy at 239 going to be able to be this good in the NFL? But um, one of the things I've been missing for a while, and it was one of the things that I saw with TJ Watt that really, like, I I didn't really get it with him. I knew everybody liked him because he was from Wisconsin, similar to Will McDonald, apparently. And I just didn't get it. And then I saw him dip around the corner where the guy was at, like, a friggin' 10-degree angle all the way around and got to the quarterback, and I was like, that is different. And I'm watching Will McDonald take hard right angles. Like, he does not loop around the corner. He gets around a, a, a pat. He speeds past a, a guy, and then he can bend like you wouldn't believe. Like, we always talk about speed bend guys, but I haven't seen a really good speed bend guy in a while. And then on top of that, I'm watching him actually do a good job against the run. He doesn't grade out super great against the run. I mean, he, technically, he has a 70.7 grade, so that's not even true. And this was his third best run defense grade that he had that so again and and 239 probably not going to do it in the pros but it's hard to watch this and be like dude what the heck is going on like why would he be a second round pick he's maybe my favorite pass rusher that i've seen including will anderson but then you look at all the pieces and it's like oh crap he's 24 and he's not even 240 (sighs) i don't care i like him and i'm leaving it at that next up we get a guy that um we don't talk about very much at all and that is uh, Anton Harrison, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Six foot four, 315 pounds out of Washington, D.C., 21.2 years old. Uh, played basically his entire career as a left tackle. Did play 53 snaps this past year at right tackle. Uh, 49840, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. 
Summary says, overall, Harrison isn't a simple evaluation because of the Sooner scheme, but he has the movement patterns of a much smaller player and generally recovers well thanks to his athleticism and length. Although there will be a learning curve, he has the tools to become a long-term NFL starter. Second round grade number 50 overall. PFF uh, has him over his three years, kind of played a half a year as a rookie, 69 grade. And then his next two years as a starter, 77 and 72. Um, basically he is a pure pass blocker, but again, that may be a scheme specific thing. I remember talking to some people about that where, you know, I don't know much about Oklahoma's scheme, but there are some offenses where all the offensive linemen are going to look like they have great pass, uh, blocking grades. But anyways, 74, then 85, 83, his run blocking grade, 63, 74, 67. So he had a little bit of a decent year in year two, uh, and then it went back down, which explains why his overall grade kind of went had spike in the middle unfortunately i only have access to one game and that's texas uh he did fine as a pass blocker it was his worst run blocking grade so i'll have to take that into account all right so kind of a weird evaluation here for mr anton harrison the kind of evaluation you'll only get on the packernet podcast (laughs) i can freaking promise you that especially with a bunch of people trying to sound smart with all their fancy words i go the other direction so here's the thing. I actually really liked Anton Harris, and I don't know why he got as bad of a run blocking grade as he did. It is true the ball comes out really quickly, so some of the uh, pass blocking kind of hard to gauge. But the, most of the time, that dude wasn't going anywhere. So if the ball came out in two seconds, he's not getting there in another point five seconds. It's not like he was getting beat, and but the ball came out quick is the only reason there wasn't a sack. That's not the case. The thing that, so, so at first when I watched him, I really wanted to dislike him because of a couple things, or because of a thing that we'll get into, which is the weird thing. But as I watched him, I actually really started to appreciate something about him. First of all, I actually thought he did a good job in space. They talked about his movement ability. I think he's got that. But the biggest thing is, remember how I've talked for a long time about how the Packers constantly put their offensive linemen in impossible situations? Like a guard has to reach a guy that is across from the center and get to, you know, the right guard has to get to this, the guy who's to the left of the center's left and, and wall him up. Like, it, it's, it's an impossible freaking task. Nobody's going to do it. I just watched Anton Harris do it a couple times. He's a left tackle. The guy across from the left guard, he had to not only get to that guy, but he had to get to the inside of him, which is to say kind of get where the center is and wall him off that way because somebody's running up the middle of the field. And for some reason, it's your responsibility. I watched him do that twice. Not only did he get to the guy, but he was able to turn him. It's weird because I, the thing with Anton Harris is he doesn't look like he plays with a lot of fire. The, the weird part of the evaluation is when, when I saw him come running across the formation, it was almost like dainty. It almost looks like apologetic. Some of these freaking offensive linemen, man, they, they come running like bulls. And you watch and you're like, oh, dude, he's going to kill somebody. And sometimes they whiff, sometimes they connect, sometimes whatever. But you just see it and it's like, oh, that's scary. He's almost, I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Other than like prancing, there's like an apologetic, like he's shuffling his feet. Oh, 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 here I come. Like he's running in high heels. And when I saw that, I'm like, what are you doing? You're 6'4, 315, go kill somebody. But, but again, he always did his job. So it almost seems like he's a lot better than he already is if you could kind of light a fire under him. But then there's also that fear in me that says, you either got it or you don't, right? That thing that says, I can't wait to run across the formation and crack somebody's skull open is not a thing you can learn. And I, I could be wrong about Anton Harris, but I'm serious. Go watch the guy. Go watch him come across the formation. Tell me if it looks like he wants to go hurt somebody or if he's just kind of like, oh, here I go. But again, he does his job. I thought he did a really good, like everything he did was great, including really, really hard stuff. And the fact that I legitimately think Anton Harris is better than he realizes, better than a lot of people realize, because he's, he's, looks like he's not even trying, like he doesn't even want to be out there but he just happens to be better and bigger and stronger than everybody, is encouraging. Very young player, but I don't know. I told you it was a weird evaluation, but that's where I'm at. I like what what he did. I just, I wish there was some kind of, uh, he's the least aggressive offensive lineman I think I've ever seen, but but good. (laughs) Then we get to Cam Smith, um, cornerback out of South Carolina. Interestingly enough, Dane Brugler has him as his 10th best corner, so Dane is not the biggest fan in the world. Also, PFF is really not the biggest fan in the world. He actually had his big breakout in 2021 with an 88 grade, um, but then he completely regressed in 2022. Also, looks like there was eh, maybe not an injury. They just play less games in college. 
I'm so used to looking at NFL like, oh, that's a shortened season. Not really. 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Maybe he missed a game or two. But, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. Um, his grades for the season, 58, 63, 75, 62, 67, 62, 63, 53, 63, 54, 60. A one good game against Charlotte. So, yeah, I don't know where the Cam Smith uh, hype train is coming from, but I haven't watched him yet. We'll see. Anyways, uh, six foot, 180 pounds. PFF lists him as six one, whatever. From Blythewood, South Carolina, he is 22.3 years old. 443 40 time, um, 38 vert, 11 2 broad jump. That's all he did, including at his pro day. Overall, wild tendencies and unrefined technique are the concerns, but Smith has all the talent necessary to be a long term NFL starter if he makes the necessary adjustments. He can work either inside or outside and will fit best in a zone-heavy scheme. Grade second, third round, number 66 overall. So this is this this feels, in a sense, almost like a Packers pick. He's a little bit undersized, but, I mean, PFF doesn't like him. Good 40 time, toolsy, zone scheme. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times we draft a guy and I go look at their PFF and it's like, oh, jeez, gross. Packers clearly not subscribers. <laughs> As for my personal thoughts on Cam Smith, I did watch his game against Kentucky. Again, you only get the best evaluations here, like you'll never get anywhere else. (laughs) Cam Smith reminds me in a way of, remember Jalen Smith, the linebacker that was actually really high? I think he was a first-round pick, maybe an early second. He He was really highly touted. Packers actually picked him up for a little while. And with Jalen Smith, it really just always felt like when he was on the field, he tried really hard, but he didn't know what he was doing. There was just a lot of unnecessary movements, a lot of flailing around, a lot of just trying really hard, but it's like, dude, you're trying hard, but you don't know what you're doing. The things that you're trying to do are kind of silly, and they don't make any sense. It's just a lot of unnecessary flailing. That's kind of the feeling I get with Cam Smith. It's not that he isn't trying hard, or at least making it look like he's trying hard, which is also kind of a theory that I'm operating off of, because in in run defense, he goes flying, right? He's got that, like, I'm going to kill this guy thing. But he always has this weird thing where he pulls up when he actually gets there. Like, oh, oh you got him? Oh, okay, good, because I was going to mess him up, dude. And I never saw him make a single tackle. He kept running over there and then just not to... But, but then you got, like, wide receiver screens, and it's one of those things where here he comes, he's going to blow him up. And he just runs, like, he runs all the way to the outside by the, by the sideline, and he's going to try to run around, and the guy just barely taps him, and he goes out of bounds. Like, why did you think that that plan was going to work? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it it just doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. Um, it was a lot of zone, so there were a lot of situations where he kind of didn't really do much. Uh, probably did less than he should have. For example, a receiver would cut to the middle of the field, and he would just kind of lazily jog behind him because, ah, eh, somebody else is over there. You know, we got guys, basically guys are bracketed all the time. So wherever he goes, there's somebody else that's got me covered on the other end. I'm just kind of following behind him. I will say, though, there were, in those rare instances against Kentucky where he was... Uh, in man-to-man coverage and had to just run with a guy. I thought he did a great job. I mean, it, it was it was one of those things. Again, and this is what you saw with some of the guys. Uh, I forget, Chris, was it Gonzalez or who was it? I don't know. But um, somebody that just had a ton of speed, and you could see the speed. It was evident, right? I mean, it, it, it's just four four three. But who knows what Kentucky receivers are running? Probably not super fast. Which again is why you know you get into the NFL and guys are running four two nine and that four four three suddenly you're not jogging to keep up with guys down the sideline anymore but he was able to do it he stayed right in the hip hip pocket of whoever it was he was playing against and so you know again there are certain things that you look at and say okay he did that and that was impressed also i think he did a great job blitzing that was like the only time i was like oh dang is when he fired off the edge and interestingly enough that is his highest grade on here he actually has four pressures in only 10 attempts but again it just it just there's really not a lot I, I, again, I could see why somebody would say, you know, that, that, that looks intense and he looks like he's trying real hard and he flies around the field and he does all this stuff. But what's he actually doing, though? Well, he's got some speed and he actually can stick with guys and man and he's got experience in zone. And yeah, I, I get that, but I don't know that that... I don't know. I don't know. You know, kind of like Dane said, maybe he puts all the pieces together, but I, I just feel like he's going to be kind of a disaster, if I'm being honest. Again, I really hope we don't draft the guy. I just I just feel like it has, you know, like Kevin King written all over it, where there are those moments that you're like, oh, this guy could be special if you could just tighten it up. But then there's just these mental lapses, like, what are you doing, King? Come on, man. 
you know, he's just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And for a defense that's really struggling to kind of know what to do, it was kind of their issue last year. Guys are in the wrong spot. You know, we had to, you know, change the scheme because people just don't know what they're doing out there. I just feel like Cam Smith is the exact wrong person to try to catch up the speed. Because because the problem is, the first step is to teach him how to be a corner. And then you have to teach him to be a corner in the Joe Barry scheme. And that's just, that's just a lot of work. So, eh. Next up is Mr. Keely Ringo, who I uh, do actually have some experience with personally. I will watch him a second time just to kind of confirm my thoughts. But before we get there, Keely Ringo, he has as the sixth best corner on his uh, list of corners here. Six foot, one and a half, 207 pounds, uh, plays for Georgia. He's out of Tacoma, Washington. 20.8 years old, so very young. Probably, I think, the youngest that we've uh, talked about here. 4.36 speed. So again, you can see why people would love the guy. Overall, Ringo struggles to stay in phase because of un- uh, under de- uh, just as undeveloped technique and awareness. But he is a freaky and competitive athlete with a size-speed blend that NFL defensive coordinators covet. Though uneven results should be expected early in his career, he has the talent to push for starting reps throughout his rookie season and might receive looks at safety, interestingly enough. It'd be interesting if we drafted Keely Ringo to be a safety. Grade first, second round, number 36 overall. Just played two years at Georgia. Had uh, full-time starter both times, 74 grade and then 71.4 grade. Uh, run defense grade, 73-76. Tackling, 78-70. Coverage, 73-70. So consistently good kind of across the board. The problem is, if you actually look at his PFF grades, he's kind of terrible. Um, the 71 apparently is some kind of an average that includes three games that were anything even slightly competent. Real quick, let me run through his grades. There's several of them because of all the championships and whatnot. 46, 67, 68, 60, 64, 61, 64, 60, 64, 61, 75, 83, 54, 61, 70. Three games. That's it. So those grades can be deceiving. It's the same with coverage. They were all 40s, 50s, and 60s, with the exception of the three games, which are two 70s and an 80 mixed in. Um, I, I, I won't watch him again. I'll, I'll be honest. Based on what he said here, it's, it's kind of an understood thing that he's, he's a guy with a lot of tools that is not very good. And that that's my assessment. I, I, I did not like watching him at all. I just thought he was flat out bad, but I do understand the appeal. And I understand why a lot of teams are going to look at him Packers probably included and say, this is a guy with a massive amount of upside. If we can take him and we can develop him, he could be really, really good. I just, I just don't really want to undertake that to be honest. I don't. I think we are a very young team, and what I would like are some guys that are a little bit more developed. If we had a bunch of veterans that were really good, you know, we had like the Charles Woodsons and those kinds of guys, okay, fine. And granted, we get we have veterans, we have Jair and whatnot, but but it's like we got Stokes. Razul is kind of, I mean, I guess he's kind of a veteran, but it's not like he's an elite football player. We don't have any safeties. Like our DB group is just a bunch of young guys trying to figure out how to do stuff, and, and they really, including Jair, really struggle to just know what they're doing. To get a completely developmental corner, I just don't think that's a good idea. But again, 20 years old, 4-3-6 speed. I get it. But we, we, our whole defense is those guys. 6'2", 207, 4-3 speed. Right? We got Savage, we got Jair, we got Stokes. We, got, we have that already. We're good. Get a veteran safety, like, I don't know, Adrian Amos. <laughs> I know he didn't play well, but it just, it just makes sense. Please. And, you know, if you want to get developmental something, you know, find another spot that makes sense. You know, a, a, you want to get a, a running back that's toolsy, that needs some work. I don't even know if that's a thing because most running backs are plug and play. But that's an area where it's like, okay, you know, uh, we got a running back that's gone in a couple years. We've got veterans that know what they're doing. In, in a couple years, he takes over as a number one and he's phenomenal and we don't invest much in him. He's a fifth round pick. That, that, that to me makes perfect sense. Maybe offensive line, maybe it's a fairly young offensive line, but at least you got David Bakhtiari and we have enough guys now that we don't need you to start immediately. If you can, that'd be great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. Um, linebacker, I, I, everything else right now is, is like we're really thin. We're really young and inexperienced. Like even defensive tackle. Yes, we have, um, Kenny Clark, but that's it. And we need somebody to come in there and play immediately because we don't have a lot of bodies. Safety. We need someone to play day one. Wide receiver. We don't have anyone to teach you. We got all second year players. Tight end. I mean, Josiah, you know, 
Maybe last year, for sure. You got Tunyon, you got Mercedes. Like, get those young guys in there. They're gone. We can't coach you up. So all these developmental guys that have the tools, I just don't know that we have the guys to develop them. We have coaches, that's true, but we just don't have the locker room to kind of bring in experienced guys along that are looking for that veteran leadership to be like, what do I do? It's like, I don't freaking know. I just got here. What are you looking at me for? Next up, we have another corner by the name of Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, He has him as the fifth best um, corner, so one spot actually ahead of Keely Ringo. By the way, I'm using the consensus big board from a couple days ago, so this is why I'm coming up with the list that I have or whatever. But uh, Emmanuel Forbes, uh, cornerback, Mississippi State, six foot, 166 pounds out of Granada, Mississippi, 22.2 years old. Uh, overall, it says Forbes' rail thin build and marginal play strength are concerns, along with his over aggressive tendencies. But he is light footed and long with a mental processor and confidence to be an NFL play- playmaker. NFL teams will, uh, willing, sorry, I, I, that thing is, uh, I'm working on some stuff. NFL teams willing to overlook his slightness will find him a darn good player. Uh, PFF actually does love the guy. 68, uh, so three-year full-time starter. We're not looking at any injuries or anything. Boundary guy, uh, 700-plus snaps for three years, uh, 2,100 total in three years, 68.8, second year, 78 grade, third year, 87.2 PFF grade. However, the consistency isn't super great. Um without it's just 60 60 50 70 80 90 60 60 50 70 70 60 coverage follows a similar pattern but overall you're talking about uh he gave up a total of 31 receptions 284 yards um longest reception was 31 yards three touchdowns six interceptions seven pass breakups 44.7 passer rating and i think the six interceptions seven pass breakups kind of it has a lot to do with his grade Here's what I think, because I have watched him. I only have one game. It was against Alabama. Um, I am not a big fan of Emmanuel Forbes for for one main reason. I I can see a lot of good things with him. First of all, played primarily in zone defense. So it was a lot of what we saw from Green Bay where, I mean, it's hard to even judge the guy because he covers an area. He doesn't cover a person. And it's a lot of passing him off and then doing this and that and the other thing. Um, I thought he did a good job in terms of covering guys straight down the field. And I know I've already used the Kevin King thing, but this is slightly different. But it reminds me of Kevin King insofar as his issue is when people don't move in a straight line. He seems very stiff to me. You know, if if he's covering a guy and he breaks to the inside, breaks to the outside, Forbes gets a little lost. And that was King's whole thing, right? You want him to play in zone, he could probably handle that a little bit. You know, just wait and wait for that underneath guy and then go smoke him. I mean, he was pretty physical. He looks a lot bigger than he is at 6'1", 166. Uh, obviously, he has plenty of speed at 4.35, but again, he's primarily playing in zone. But yeah, that, that was my whole thing, is he just seemed very kind of undisciplined, but I don't think it was necessarily a discipline issue as much as he just couldn't quite make the turns fast enough and was not super balanced, I guess you would say. So I, I would struggle to take Emmanuel Forbes like in the second round. If we're talking like fifth round, cool. I know the upside is crazy. Again, 166. What the heck is it with everybody being so small and ridiculous? I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Emmanuel Forbes. Then we get to Mr. Jameer Gibbs, very popular running back prospect, listed as the number two running back, which is pretty common for just about everybody. Running back out of Alabama, 5'9", 199, out of Dalton, Georgia. He is 21.1 years old. Overall, it says Gibbs doesn't have ideal size or run power for NFL punishment, but he's an electric athlete with explosiveness, vision, and pass-catching skills to be an exciting NFL weapon. Though his workload will need to be managed, his talent is a mixture of Alvin Kamara and Chris Johnson. Grade for second round, 22 overall. Three years at Alabama. He doesn't play a ton. I shouldn't say he doesn't play a ton. His, his snaps can be relatively low. So he had 470 snaps in three years. Two years at Georgia Tech and one at Alabama. But grades are wildly consistent, um, 83, 88, 82, rushing grades, 81, 86, 83. Um, fumble grades have gotten better, 60, then 72, then 90. Receiving grades, 90, 91, 82. So, I mean, the, the guy is just a good football player. There's no doubt about it. Again, as I said, you're looking at a guy that's a little bit smaller. Similar to Aaron Jones, you're probably going to have to limit his workload. But I don't really have too many doubts about him. The, the thing that stood out to me the most 
with Jameer Gibbs was how unbelievably explosive he was coming out of his cuts. I mean, you're talking zero to 60. This guy just, he, he'll, he'll kind of lull you to sleep going down the field, running around, and then he'll break to the inside, and he is just freaking gone. The cuts are so smooth, so fast. So, yeah, I, I do like Jameer Gibbs quite a bit. Um, as, as far as, a, you know, if you're looking for an Aaron Jones replacement or whatever, I, I have no issues with um, saying he's going to be that guy. But again, taking a running back is cheating. Most of these guys are automatic. <laughs> They're going to be good football players. All right, once again, we're about halfway through. we got three left. Let's do uh, Jalen Hyatt, and then we'll take a break, come back, and do the last two. Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee, six foot 176. Again, ridiculously small. Out of Irmo, South Carolina, uh, 21.5 years old. Overall, says Hyatt isn't a well-rounded receiver and won't become one overnight, but he is exceptional in two er- uh, key areas, easy speed and confident ball skills. And his potential for an explosive play at any moment changes the way defenses prepare. In the right role, he can be a productive home run hitter for an NFL offense. Which is kind of what we all already know about the guy, right? He's a one-trick pony. He's a home run hitter. But that's pretty much what Christian Watson is. (laughs) And we didn't really regret that pick. Uh, One note is he ran, what was it, a 4-4, I think, 40 time? 4-4-0? Jalen Hyatt talked about that, said he kind of had a tight hamstring when he ran the 40. He said he's very confident if he were to do it again, he'd be in the four threes. Some people kind of estimated he'd be like four two nine range. So I'm not exactly sure what his speed is, but I think you just kind of have to recognize it on the field, I guess. Anyways, um, as far as uh, PFF is concerned, not the biggest fan of his, I guess. Um, in his first two years, which he didn't have a massive role, 64 grade, then 56 grade, then this year was kind of his breakout year, obviously, with a 77 grade, but, which is another kind of knock, um, how much of that is dependent on his, you know, big games. He had um, three games where he graded in the 80s, two in the 70s, and the rest are 60s and 50s. So we're talking five games where he was graded out as good, and that's about it. Um, but again, how many games do you need of... 100, you know, for example, Kentucky, 138 yards, two touchdowns. Missouri, 146 and a touchdown. Akron, 166, two touchdowns. Uh, Tennessee, Martin, 174, two touchdowns. And of course, Alabama, 207 and five touchdowns. I mean, you, you, you look at the production we got some from some of our guys who would occasionally have big games. You know, MVS would do something once a year where he'd have 105 yards and a touchdown. And then, you know, He's got, he also had other games, LSU 63 yards and two touchdowns. You probably take that. So how many bad games did he have? I mean, the only game under 50 yards was Ball State, but he had 28 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, again, that's, that's sort of the thing. If you're looking for that consistent receiver, which the Packers kind of are, I don't know that this is necessarily him. Although, you know, more than five receptions, six, 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 seven, seven, and 11 against Pittsburgh. So I don't know. Depends what you're looking for. But again, 176 pounds is small. My thoughts on Hyatt, I guess I wish I liked him a little bit more. Um, I've seen some people say he's much more than just a straight line speed guy. Um, look, I, I I didn't really see a ton of that. It seemed like to me, you know, 50% of the time he was able to get by a guy, 50% of the time he wasn't. I didn't really see him beat anybody with just like a route. You know, watching him try to gear down to run a little curl route or something was borderline painful which i mean it can be tough if you're really fast but as a smaller guy i would expect some more agility and um, ability to do those kinds of things and then you take the 4-4 speed into account which is significantly slower i know there's the hamstring thing but how fast is he really so you know it's like okay so he's christian watson 2.0 but what if he isn't plus christian watson is a massive human being this guy is small so i mean again i'm looking at it going i don't think we're even talking second round here. Really, I, I just, you know, it, in my mind, especially as good as the Packers have been, second round and first round are basically interchangeable. I mean, you're still talking, right? You're not talking top 10 guys. You're probably, I mean, of course you could get one, but generally speaking, you're not seeing that, but you're talking starters. Like you can find an X receiver in the second round. You're talking about a guy that is purely a speed threat with a very limited route tree and route running ability, who's undersized and potentially whose speed is in question. Maybe I'm the only one questioning it. I don't know. But I just, to me, the value isn't there. So I don't know, man. I'm, uh, again, he's, he's one of those guys, if we get him, I'm excited because it's like, hey, we got a speed, another speed threat. We got two of these guys. It's going to be ridiculous. 
but that's just kind of where I'm at. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Um, if you'd like to find out more about them, you can go to fertilegroundranch.org. It's also pinned to the top of my Twitter. You can check that out there. Also, please consider buying a t-shirt. Um, if you go to Patreon, I gave you a discount code. Otherwise, I've been posting links on social media. Um, I would pin it, but Fertile Ground Ranch is pinned, so I don't know the best way to just get you a link. I guess I could put it in the description of the show, huh? I'm going to forget, but I'll try. But keep an eye out for new designs. I'm working on one as we speak. I'm just, um, uh, I like it, but I just got to, you know, get it. But we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, now we got our last two um, massive human being, Mr. Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones, offensive tackle out of Ohio State, six foot eight, three hundred and seventy-four pounds, out of Indianapolis, Indiana, twenty-one point seven years old, an only child. So there you go, unusual. Overall, Jones needs continued refinement with his decision-making and reaction skills, but he is a masher in the run game, and his rare size length and improved balance in pass pro have him on the trajectory to be an NFL starter. He will be valued higher by NFL teams that covet size and run blocking at right tackle. Second round grade, number 62 overall. Looking at PFF, um... Didn't really play much his first two years. He played a little bit of left tackle. 90 snaps first year, 80 snaps his second year. Uh, When he took over as a right tackle and a starter in 2021, he had an 86.5 overall grade, a 90 run blocking grade, and a 78.8 pass blocking grade. 82 overall grade in 2022, 85 run blocking, 78 pass blocking. So he didn't grade out poorly in any real category. Last year, he gave up zero sacks, zero hits, and five hurries. As far as his uh, consistency, it's not terrible. Although about half of his grades were in the 60s, they're none of them really bad. His lowest grade was Notre Dame Week 1, 59.6 grade. Um, And in that game, he had a 70 run blocking and 73 pass blocking grade. Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries given up. In fact, he only gave up five hurries the entire season, if I didn't say that already. So he's pretty good at football, for sure. As far as my own personal thoughts, uh, we can put this guy down as one of my guys, for sure. Um, again, there are flags. I think his size, as weird as it sounds, is he's a little big. 
Um, I, I even if, if you want to get even weirder with it, I kind of worry about injury. I don't know if there's any data to back this up, but that's a lot of weight. I saw him several times kind of go to the ground and look a little like, you okay? He, he let one guy go right past him on one play. It didn't cause a, a, a sack or anything, kind of blocked him and then, then stopped. But he was limping down the field after that. Then he just kept playing. But I saw him go to the ground a couple times, and it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe he just lost his balance and fell because he's kind of top-heavy, whatever. I don't know, but it just it looked like he kept getting hurt. Also, there's movement ability and everything. I didn't really notice any problem, but obviously, you know, his speed is not top um, top of the line, and you wonder if the Packers look at that and say, we need some athletic guy that can, you know, be able to reach kind of far away, and can you do it? But I'll let the Packers figure that out. All I can tell you is that this is sort of the Darnell Washington of offensive linemen. He's, it's, it's unfair. I never saw him get moved. Let me put it that way. Usually with every single one of these guys, especially Ohio State's left tackle, but all of these guys, no matter how big they are, they get bull rushed at some point, and they go right back into the quarterback, and then eventually it's, it's kind of a question of can they re-anchor and kind of hold him off just long enough before the pass gets off, or, or does it end up being a set? This guy, I mean, he doesn't even look like he's doing the right thing about 50% of the time. It doesn't matter. I saw a guy try to get around the corner, and Dewan didn't quite, you know, he, he kind of beat him around the edge, beat Dewan around the edge. Dewan put one hand on the top of his helmet and just pushed him to the ground. The, the, I'm telling you, the power and the strength that this guy has is completely unfair. The clip I posted on Twitter just cracked me up because at one point, you know, usually there, there's, there's the knee bend and like the, the arm extension and like you're, you got your hands inside and all that stuff and you stonewall a guy. He got to a point where he was just standing straight up. He wasn't doing anything. He was just standing straight up, just holding the guy, just like, okay, I guess we'll just, we'll just hang out over here. I mean, the, the way you watch these big grown men, including I saw Lucas Van Ness, I watched that game, and then I went back and watched Georgia. But I saw Van Ness and, and those guys just look stupid. I mean, they didn't gain an inch. If anything, they went backwards. So I, I, I doubt the Packers will get them. It's probably more of a Baltimore Ravens thing or something, but I, uh, I freaking like the guy. That's all I can tell you. I really, really, really like him. Anyways, finally is Drew Sanders. He is a six foot four, two hundred and thirty five pound linebacker out of Arkansas, from Denton, Texas. Um, Twenty two point three years old. His summary says overall Sanders must become a more skilled tackler, finisher, and take on player. But he offers intriguing versatility as a do everything front seven defender thanks to his size and athletic range. He is an ascending player with the talent to be match to be a matchup linebacker and occasional pass rusher in the NFL. So, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. It's a pretty weak linebacker class, and the Packers put themselves in a position where they don't really have to worry about it. I'm not going to say that we're not going to draft a linebacker because we don't have much aside from the top two, and one of them may not be here very long, but a second-round pick would surprise me a little bit. Um, But anyways, he spent two years at Alabama. Uh, His first year at Alabama, he didn't play very much, just 52 snaps. The next time, it was 284. He had a 62.7 grade. Then he went to Arkansas, played a full season, 846 total snaps. He was classified as a right inside linebacker, 79.2 grade, 70 run defense, 75 pass rush, 77.8 coverage, but just a 57.2 tackling grade. Uh, Pretty consistent with his high 60s, low 70s grades almost every single game. Texas A&M, he had a 51. South Carolina, he had about an 80. That's about it. Uh, Pretty much every other game was right in that range. I think maybe the one interesting thing about him is the amount of times he rushes the passer, 148 times. He had 39 pressures out of those 148 and 11 total sacks. So I find that to be fairly interesting. But my own personal thoughts, I watched him against uh, Alabama. Um, I, I, I like him from the standpoint of he seems instinctual. He seems to have some really good speed. I don't, let me see, if, did he do anything in his pro day? Oh yeah, 4.64, he can run. 4.38 short shuttle, 7.183 cone. Nine foot ten inch broad jump, but he he moves really well. He's just too small. He's not very physical in terms of his ability to tackle. I mean, we saw that with his tackling grades. And um, yeah, I, th- I just think he gets pushed around too much. Again, I I don't dislike the guy, but uh, again, for the second round, eh, I think he can do a good job blitzing and and probably covering. But he's not a all the way fully well rounded kind of linebacker, kind of do everything sort of a guy. So that's it. We have uh, crushed 40 prospects. I'm pretty proud of that. Tomorrow we got Jack Campbell, Hendon Hooker, Felix Ndike Uzoma, 
Aditomiwa Adeboware, who met with the Packers, Trenton Simpson, John Michael Schmitz, Luke Musgrave, BJ Ojolari, Steve Avila, and then Keon White. Two things I want to touch on. Um, there is now rumor that the Jets are the ones that stepped away from the table. This is just one source that has come up with this. It kind of flies in the face a little bit of what uh, conventional wisdom was, I guess you would say, although I don't know that there were any official real strong reports saying that the Packers backed away. There probably were. But the idea being essentially there was um, kind of an agreed-upon structure when Aaron Rodgers said he was 90% ready to retire. It was actually the owner, Woody Johnson, who said, I'm not comfortable with this anymore. And that's when you start to hear about the givebacks, because we have heard about that in terms of the Jets seem to really want some insurance on the off chance that he doesn't come back. And it sounds like the Packers are like, dude, BS, man. We're not doing that. This is the price for Aaron Rodgers. We're not going less than that because you think you're only getting him for a year. So I don't know. It sounds like both sides are completely dug in. I just saw a report recently somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it was. I may have saved it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Just got to take my word for it. That the Packers do not intend to back down. So what happens? I mean, I, I guess the real question is, are the Packers willing to eat the money and let them sit simply on principle? I don't know, but I'm starting to get worried that we may find out. Now, this all may just be stupid because somebody's going to blink. You know, again, we got posturing from both sides, essentially saying we're not backing down, right? The, the Jets have got their puppets out there saying we're not backing down. The Packers talk to their puppets and have them go out into the media and say, well, we're not backing down. It's very possible both sides are ready to just hit that freaking red button. Just nuke the thing, you know? But it does sound like that's where we're at. So we'll see. Again, my, my thought at this point, if you asked me, you know, on a percentage basis, what are the odds that this gets done um, before, let's say, the second round of the draft, I would say sub 50%. I, I genuinely believe at this point it's not getting done um, before before the draft essentially i don't think it's getting done and i, and I don't think it's going to be well on day two they're going to do this big draft so we get some second round picks i kind of just feel like this is just going to ride out not a big fan of that but it's that's just the feeling i'm getting at this point like ni ni neither sides are even talking right now apparently they haven't talked in weeks so what nothing's going to change i mean you you would have to assume that the jets are playing chicken on the off chance that the the uh packers will blink because they want this year's picks but what happens if they don't do they then start to panic? No idea. All right. Also, I promised Cheeseballin on Twitter that I would read his stuff. I was supposed to do it, I think, for yesterday or maybe even two days ago. Um, I asked him to please call in, but he said it's too long and he doesn't want to do that. So I will just read through his points. Um, because I, you know, listen, I've been hammering my side of things for a long time. I'm sure there are people that listen that don't agree and they don't tell me and they don't um, call into the show because they don't want me to smash into them or whatever the case may be. So I want to read uh, Cheeseballin's perspective. For reference, I have not read this yet, so I don't have like a big long list of like, here's how I'm going to respond. I, my, my goal is to kind of try to allow him to give voice to the other side of this while at the same time maintaining my stance and we'll see how that all kind of blends together i don't really know it's probably going to turn into me just being a d-bag and screaming and yelling all right so here's how we're supposed to start this here's what he says i've gone back and forth with you for a year i've seen a lot of incorrect things you said due to huge blind spots with you as men i get it's hard to admit faults but i like for people that have potential in doing things they love to be able to get better and not saying incorrect things due to some issue your blind spot is that when triggered by outside or inside criticism of our team, our management, you try and throw whatever at the wall to defend them and go overboard in that you say incorrect things. Use things that aren't apples to apples or aren't on the same level and pretend a critique is either all or nothing and there can't be a good amount of blah, 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 blah. So I'm, I'm not going to finish reading. The bottom line is I get sensitive when people attack the team and whatever. Just to be clear, because... He's trying to analyze my brain, and I tend to have a better idea of what's going on in my brain than he does. It's not about the team. It's about my perspective. I may do incorrect stuff, not apples to apples or whatever, but all I'm trying to do is convey where I stand with things. If I give an example of something, and you might not think it's apples to apples, but I'm just trying to explain, like, here's how I'm viewing it. So I guess what I would say, if you're interacting with me, don't try to psychoanalyze why I'm doing this thing that you view to be incorrect. Just try to believe 
as hard as it may be, that I actually believe the perspective that I'm saying, and I'm not just a sycophant who's obsessed with Brian Gutekunst and wants to hump his leg. That isn't it. And again, I've talked for weeks to give my exact perspective on every single thing in hopes that people understand the way that my mind is oriented on these issues. The other issue that's going to happen is he's bringing up stuff from like a year ago that I don't remember. But his, here's point number one. Chris Sims said last year you weren't having these big explosive plays. He said I got triggered, which, okay, whatever. Said how dare you and found a factoid to destroy Sims and found one. And he said what Sims was meaning to say is that he was talking about throws over 20 yards and that Green Bay mainly throws within five yards. You can't just keep doing that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, if you say something that's wrong and I say that you're wrong, then you're wrong. If you meant to say something else, that's your problem, that's not my problem. And to say Chris Sims is a smart guy, so he must have meant something else, trust me, these guys say so much stupid crap all the time, I have no problem assuming that maybe they're just wrong about stuff. And there's nothing to be triggered. I mean, you mean triggered? When people bring valid criticisms, it's fine. But the fact of the matter is, we just had somebody come out and show, I mean, that's the thing, these things happened within like a few minutes of each other. There was something demonstrating that the Packers were like one of the top teams in explosive plays, and Chris Sims comes out and he says, the problem with the offense is they don't have explosive plays. What do you expect me to do? And again, I I don't remember the specifics, but if I just go over to SIS right now, passes over 20 yards, Aaron Rodgers was second in, in attempts beyond 20 yards. Fifth in completions. So I don't have the data still here. I don't know exactly what all the arguments about it were. But again, when, when people say stuff that's not true, I'm going to say that it's not true. And if you would like to later clarify and say, well, what I meant to say is this, that's fine, but clarify. But if you're going to make broad, sweeping comments, it'd be like if somebody said, well, the, the, the Packers are a trash team. And I'm like, the Packers won 13 games. Well, I meant their defense was trash. <laughs> and, and what, I'm an idiot? Was that not apples to apples? I feel like it was. You talk about a large piece of something and that large piece actually isn't accurate, speaking in the large piece, and then you meant to say, well, I actually meant a piece of that piece. Okay, well, then that's different. All right, anyways, point number two. When trying to tear down how the Bills GM is so much better than ours, first of all, I didn't say that. Never said he was better than ours. The entire point I made about the Bills GM was to try to provide context. The entire point is to say, show me the best GM. And then once we establish that, and I picked him because a lot of people would say it's him. I don't know. I'm waiting for somebody to tell me who it is. Nobody, including you, has ever done it. And my entire point was to provide context, not to say that that his drafts were worse than ours. I never said that. That's why I never compared the two. I didn't even try to do that. I just wanted to show that people are completely unrealistic when they show, hey, look at all the misses that Brian Gutekunst had. Look at this one year, which was so bad. Well, I can do that with him as well. That's the entire point, and you're you're not understanding that for some reason. But anyways, so much better than ours. You blast Kair Alam's PFF rookie grade, but I'm sure you glowingly talked about Stokes right after his rookie year, even though Alam was better by two points. Similar to Stokes shows a biased inconsistency. Yeah, you'd have to demonstrate that those things are, are real. But again, all I'm doing is demonstrating where are the studs. I've never said Stokes is a stud, not once. He then says, you then acted like, well, let's just look at drafts if you get a stud, which is pretty pathetic because two teams could get just one stud in a draft, but one team gets three other average starters and the other gets no other starters. Those drafts aren't equal. I don't even know what that means. What about one team getting one stud, but the rest are below average with little to no starters compared to a team that gets no studs, but four quality? Yeah, that that would be better. Than the other. I don't know what this has to do with anything. All I did was provide showed. Here are all the picks. You can you can make your own assessment. If you thought that they were, did you think that it was a good draft? I read every single PFF grade of every single player and then told you which players are not even on the team anymore. Was that good or not? You're trying to make a separate argument about something else or comparing or I don't even I don't know exactly what you're trying to do. But I mean, just just be honest. Did he have good drafts based on the? way that Brian Gutekunst is judged, this, this is the entire point. If you apply the way you and other people treat Brian Gutekunst and his drafting ability to any other GM, including Brandon Bean, it would be this guy sucks at drafting, period. That's not really debatable. And you can try to do all this weird maneuvering. I don't know what it is you're trying to talk about, about average this side or the other. Is that what I showed? He's got a bunch of just average solid starters and one stud or whatever. I don't know where this is coming from. 
Plus, we've had drafts where we haven't even gotten one stud in Goody's time, which isn't to say he's garbage. Right. I That was my entire point. I even said, I, I'm not saying that the Bills GM is bad. I'm not saying anything about it. I'm just trying to provide a little bit of context. I'm saying this is the guy that many people think is the best GM in football. Here is the reality of his drafts. What do you think? The entire point being, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of people like you, but apparently not, will look at that and go, oh, crap. Maybe my expectations are a little bit too high. Brian Gutekunst has had bad drafts, too. I understand that. That's the entire point that I'm trying to make. All GMs have bad drafts. Good ones, bad ones, mediocre ones. That's the entire point. Number three is a very long one. When trying to destroy some media guys, take that Green Bay would... What? When trying to destroy some media guys, take that Green Bay would damage themselves if they trade A-Rod to another team, not the Jets. Used other stadiums that weren't apples to apples, like Carr and Khalil Mack examples. I don't know what you're talking about. You were trying to act like the Packers found out A-Rod wanted to play, so they went to shop him and announced, hey, A-Rod is available, so may the best offer win, and Jets sent in an offer sheet Green Bay didn't quite see was enough, so they said, well, we'll see who... Ah, dude, I'm, I don't know if I'm just tired or what. I don't know what this is. I'm going to ask the robot to summarize this, man, because I don't know what's going on here. I will apologize to you in advance if the robot doesn't quite summarize the point you're trying to get across, but I don't know what you're saying when you're typing this stuff. Point being made is that the examples used to compare the Aaron Rodgers trade situation to other trades, such as Khalil Mack and Derek Carr, are not accurate. Or, see, I, I don't, I don't remember when I did this or why. Why would I have compared Aaron Rodgers to Khalil Mack? What I mean, what was the point I was trying to make? I don't even know. It's not directly comparable. Of course, it's not directly comparable. There's, there's going to be differences in every single situation. I'm not going to find a perfectly comparable thing, but it depends what the point is that I'm trying to make. You can still make a point if, if the main point still correlates you can't say well this is slightly different well that doesn't matter it depends what the point is being made and i don't know what the point was he says if the uh the author argues that if the bears had allowed mac to visit and agree with other teams only to trade him elsewhere it would be more comparable to the rogers situation i mean i'll just give you that i don't know what we're arguing about here i really think it'd be better if you call in man because this this, i don't know what's happening here but hopefully you heard the responses and can re-respond or whatever but I, I, let's let's keep it to packernet after dark if you want to call in because i'm not really entirely sure what all this is it's not what i was expecting i thought thought we were going to be continuing the conversation we had before i didn't realize you were a long-time listener and had all this pent-up stuff going on yeah I, I don't know why i would have compared him to khalil or what i was talking about exactly so i i, I will just concede defeat on that one because i don't know what's even happening there but I, just understand i i i am not the best orator in the world. I like to use ridiculous examples. It's the best thing that comes off the top of my head in the moment. Of course, I'm going to get stuff wrong, dude. I've got like 1,700 episodes here. I speak for an hour, every, two hours essentially, every single day trying to just unpack. And all I'm trying to do is get people to see what's going on inside my brain. If it's wrong, you can tell me your perspective and I'll, I'll, we can hash it out and see what's going on. But that's all this is. The Packernet and Packernet After Dark. Well, Packernet is me just trying to unload what's going on in my brain. Packernet After Dark is your opportunity to unload what's going on in your brain. And then I'll just tell you what I think about it. That's all it is. It ain't that deep. I get that. I mean, that's the thing. You listen to me rant for an hour about something that you think is entirely wrong. You're going to get pent up and want to unload it. But what I'm saying is don't wait a year and let it all pent up. Listen to me say it on the podcast, and then that day call in and say, here's why you're an idiot, and then we'll, we'll argue about it. But this is difficult, because you're talking about stuff from a year ago or weeks ago or whatever. I don't remember, dude. I have this stuff happen all the time. People will be like, hey, you said on the podcast like this, this. What, what, what about that? I was like, I don't remember saying that. From yesterday, I don't remember saying it. But I do want to encourage more people that if you disagree, let me know. Because I can't grow in my understanding of things and get better at what I'm doing if everybody just agrees with me all the time. You know what I mean? Try not to be a douche because then I'm going to get angry and be a douche back and it just, it gets ugly. I mean, do what you want. You're a grown man. I'm just telling you, if there's language in there that is insulting, my immediate reaction is I'm going to respond in a way that is insulting. I'm going to respond in kind. I shouldn't do that, but it's what I do. But I, I freely will admit, I, for example, this Aaron Rodgers, I have no idea what's going on. And I've changed my opinion 500 different times in terms of, 
how I think it's going to go, how I think it is actually going, all that. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. I'm just guessing. And, and then you, we get a bunch of information. You got to weight it. You know, how much how much weight do you put on this guy's opinion versus that guy's opinion versus what Rogers said and how we interpret what Rogers said and what about what McAfee said and what about what Ian said and just trying to stitch it together. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Everybody's got their own opinion of how this thing's going to go and I don't really see any reason to get super angry about it. Um, but if you're like me and you're passionate, then you, you tend to get a little yelly sometimes. And that's another thing with me. You, you, you gotta understand, that's just how it's going to be. Get mad because I'm tearing apart media guys or whatever. Like, well, sorry, that's not going to change. Say stupid stuff, I'm going to call you stupid. And if you didn't mean that, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll slightly take it back and be like, I'm sorry I called you stupid, but still, you, you, you were a little stupid. But anyways, this is my call to all the disagreeers out there. Um, I'm, I'm, Again, I, I I like to get it, give it like I get it. So you just call in and have a conversation about here's my perspective, right? We want to talk about perspectives. Let's talk about perspectives. I'm all about having that conversation. Tell me, call in. I think we're actually short on calls anyways. Call in. Even if you agree with me on 95% of stuff, tell me that 5% where it's like, here's where I disagree. And it'll be a pack daddy roast, essentially. But I get to punch back a little bit. <laughs> Hey, it's Romeo Dobbs' birthday. Nice. Anyways, that's my request. You guys have a good rest of your day. Cheese balling. Sorry, man, I tried. I don't think I gave you very good responses, but again, I don't really know what's going on around here. So keep it up to date. Tell me what's up. Call in. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>